But see, it was a plan. You know, it was clear. Everything was figured out, and now everything's just kind of like... Floopy? Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're not the only one. I mean, half the time, we don't know where we're going. I mean, you just got to figure at some point it's all going to come together, and it's just going to be... Unfloopy. I feel like that's a word. <laughs> okay, but Monica, what if, what if it doesn't come together? I'm so sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to bring you down. No, you were right. I don't have a plan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Well, this episode today, we are going to call, well, we're debating about what to call this one. Originally, we're going to call it the one with the cop-outs, but then we realized there's a really good friends clip that goes right along with the episode. So we're going to call this one the one with the pluh. Spelled P-L-A. And by now that we're talking about it, you already know why we're calling it that. So you can just chuckle to yourselves or you can say, what's wrong with these two? Can't they find a new show to make their episodes off of? Yeah. So what's been going on with you? Anything exciting? Anything? Don't make me talk about myself. (laughs) First of all, are you wearing a Niantic Pokemon Go shirt? Pokemon Go? Yeah. What's on your shirt? I see Niantic on it which is the company that makes no it's connecticut oh it says book barn okay oh it says book barn see book it looks barn. like niantic this is um a used bookstore in connecticut that i oh, visited nice. and it's like magical it has cats outside oh perfect you just go up to and talk to and pet and stuff and are they magical cats like mcgonagall oh, from harry potter or? well if they've been magical i would have stayed longer bought more books <laughs> what? uh what about you um let's see so last week i went and competed in the virginia state yo-yo contest that's right yeah and i made a an awful debacle of myself but it was still a fun experience anyway can i see the video oh no i mean you can you probably can if you look for it but it's uh it's pretty bad although maybe to the untrained eye you might not know that it's a complete debacle but i do so yeah you know (laughs) yeah well i think you're really brave for even doing it getting up in front of a bunch of people yeah it was more people than i anticipated it was weird though because i was actually oddly calm beforehand i wasn't really nervous and then even when i was messing up like normally i'd be like kind of freaking out and getting sweaty but i was just like you're sweaty yeah i just kind of stayed calm and still couldn't hit any tricks and i was like oh. okay and then it was only a minute long so it was you know short punishment well the holy yo-yo gods must have been with you keeping you calm yeah i was just very calm and zen and i was like hmm. yeah i was like that couldn't have went worse but that's okay <laughs> went worse it really couldn't have got last place right yeah i got last place but it's okay because i still got i still got swag i still got a free yo-yo it was a good experience it was fun so podcast wise we'll have uh robert from affinis humanity which is a really fun conversation like it was a a highly passionate conversation it was (laughs) and also highly genuine robert was one of the most nicest and thoughtful and considerate people i've ever spoken to yeah, he's just so like down to earth. And then you really, you- yeah, he's so gracious. And there's so much behind like what he says. Like, it's not like all his words seem like they're very carefully chosen, but also not scripted. So hopefully people really enjoy that episode because it was a really great conversation. So that'll be yeah. coming up in a few weeks. All right, let's get into our flawed theology in real life segment really basically just to kind of highlight how much flawed theology is out there and kind of to help hone our critical thinking skills because that's really the goal of the show is is not just to like pick on christianity or bad theology but to also help people recognize when they see it this one came from the facebook friend of mine posted i don't really know the backstory to this post but i presume it means that someone in their family died passed away 
yeah, uh, okay. and died. So, so this person posted one of those, you know, Bible verses with a pretty picture background, and it just says the Bible verse from the Book of Psalms. It says, "Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints." Why is this flawed theology? A plain reading of this makes it seem like the Lord delights in the death of people. <laughs> yeah. When I Google this verse, because I wasn't much of a Bible reader before, and I'm trying to be now. Mm-hmm. So this psalm that this verse is plucked from, the overarching context of it is that the person who wrote it almost died and then was saved by God and delivered from death. Okay. The other thing is that the word precious can also be translated to rare. And so what this verse is actually saying is that rare in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Oh, so like they don't die. (laughs) Right, which would go along better with the context of the whole psalm. Right. People use this verse at... At funerals. funerals and stuff to make everybody feel better right but that's not even what it's saying at all like that's not even the point of the verse isn't to make you feel better about people dying it's like right. oh, god will deliver you from dying huh that's very interesting yeah. i don't think I, yeah i don't think i knew that context but because yeah i've always heard this verse used in the saint in the thing of like when a saint or a child of god dies their life has this higher intrinsic value because they were a saint, because they were a child of God. And to me, that seems like what makes that person more precious to God or to anyone just because they are a believer, you know, like. Oh, so you interpret saints to be believers, not just people. Yes, yes. Like saint is one of those weird words, like in the Catholic church, in order to be a saint, you had to have been dead for 500 years, have to be canonized and all that stuff. But in the Bible, well, especially in the New Testament, then saint would mean everyone that is a believer is a saint in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, that application of saint is more like a person who follows God. It's not like a canonized person, you know, so it's just any believer. So to me, it's like, okay, well, what's more important or precious when someone passes, like the fact that they were a believer or like actually grieving the loss of that person to the world? Well, if you're a Christian, aren't you thinking my heavenly life is starting now? Like my earthly life was just a blip. Now we're going on to the main event. And so why wouldn't we be happy about this? (laughs) To me, it just shortcuts the whole grief process. Like if you're trying to grieve someone who passed you can't even really do it because you're just basically saying oh well now they're in a better place and i've experienced this firsthand i've told the story before at my grandmother's funeral which is like the first funeral i went to when i was kind of in the middle of deconstruction and i was like sitting there like really kind of numb because the whole service was this big jubilant joyful celebration about all the silly shit that my grandma did and how now she's in heaven doing the same silly shit with god you know and I'm like, not really. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And it was a really kind of surreal experience sitting there, you know, watching this and like not even really feeling sad because I was like kind of just agitated by the whole thing. So, yeah. And going back to what you were saying about the this shortcutting the grief process, it's almost like you feel guilty if you grieve your loved one going to heaven. Right. It's like selfish. It's like, well, I, I want my loved one here with me. Right. <laughs> but I shouldn't feel that way because they're going to their ultimate destination, which is way better than here. Right. And it's the whole reason they were alive. Exactly. It's the yeah. whole it's the whole point of everything. It's the whole point of our existence and our little yeah. like blip here. So Yeah, and, and there's another point that that in the old testament they didn't really talk about afterlife at all. So like it's a real it's a total misapplication to use that verse yeah. as these people are going to heaven and they're precious in the sight of God because now they're with him. In the Old Testament, they wouldn't have even known what that concept That's was. That's exactly why it makes more sense if you replace the word precious with rare. Yeah. You think about it as God was delivering people from death, delaying it. And then that also, like, if you take that to the next level, also that's so flawed because clearly people die. Yeah. If you say that it's rare that the saints die, that's just not even true. Everyone dies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and a lot of people die young, less now than before. But does that mean God is saving more people from death now than before? Yeah. And if you think about life expectancy back when the book of Psalms mm-hmm. would have been written. Right. 35. I don't know. Yeah, A lot of people are dying. So we'd be dead by now. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of proof there that that's a flawed verse and that written words when they're like propagated over time isn't really a good way of conveying you know, thoughts or truth.
so the reason we're calling this um the one with the pl or pl- <laughs> <laughs> the one with the plan is because we want to talk about the concept of magical thinking and then we're going to kind of take that to the next level and talk about the providence or the sovereignty of god and we're going to talk about how believers use magical thinking to explain things that they just don't understand and that they can't logically defend does god really have a plan for the universe does he have a plan for your life if he does have a plan is it a good one what happens when people question the plan the big kicker is what happens when people discover that there is no plan let's talk a little about magical thinking i love this term had you ever heard this term really like not really deconverting or deconstructing no i hadn't really heard it either because it was just like my thinking and thought process i never considered it magical because magic is something that you don't talk about as a believer you know there's anything magical is occultish and from satan so yeah yeah it's different from miracles right it's like differentiated god's magic is called miracles but magic from any other source is right um satanic yeah yeah so so the idea of magical thinking is kind of just a way to explain things that are unexplainable so basically to say oh this happened and there's a magical reason for why it happened so the I guess the yeah. real question is why why is this a thing for human beings like why do we do it <laughs> like the short answer is that we do it because we're human and humanity has a tendency for magical thinking and that's really just because of the way that we've evolved and we've said yeah. this before that you know our ancestors when they heard rustling in the bushes they had to think it was a tiger because they survived better thinking it was a tiger mm-hmm. than not thinking it was a tiger. Right. We've inherited that tendency to think that there are things there that aren't there and mm-hmm. detect patterns where there are no patterns. Right. So a lot of this, by the way, just so people know that we are not experts or psychologists oh, no, no. or we're getting a lot of this from an article written by a psychologist who has written a bunch of books about miracles. And um, so we'll link to this whole series that she wrote. What are the other types of tendencies that humans have and in, in human cognition, um, almost like defects sort of in our in our information processing? So what are some of those? One of the things that people do is they make snap judgments about cause and effect. And this is a very common thing. Oh, and to backtrack a little bit, not all these things are necessarily, well, they aren't. They're not bad or they're not wrong. They're how the they're how the mind works. Like it's how human cognition works. And like Susie was saying, they're part of the idea of survival enables you to do this. So so snap judgments about cause and effect, like when two things happen close in time or close in space without an obvious external cause, our mind tends to correlate those two things together. They're constantly scanning for cause and effect. So we're like, okay, well, this happened and then this happened. So they've got to be related. I have an example of this that just happened to me. Oh, nice. So we were in the car and um, I was at a traffic light and my daughter from the backseat hands me a Slim Jim to open because she can't open it. Right. So I'm trying to open the Slim Jim and it will not open. And I kind of like in a joking manner, just to make my daughter laugh, I started smacking it on the steering wheel and like screaming at the Slim Jim. <laughs> and then I stop and the very next time I tried to open it, it opened very easily. And oh, I was like, ma- look, Audrey, it worked. It's magic. It's yeah. magic. It worked. Like I yeah. did this thing on the steering wheel and it opened. Right. And then of course you can laugh about it because you don't really believe <laughs> yeah. that it was the smacking of the Slim Jim on the steering wheel and the screaming that did it. But that's how the brain works. It's like cause and effect, exactly. close time pr- proximity. And we do that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. And we need to do that stuff because somebody somewhere will notice that action B happened because of cause A. Right. And we need people to notice those things so that you know we can make discoveries and inventions. And a lot of people, when you're talking to someone, they don't understand the difference between correlation and causation. So this is something I I vaguely remember from my psych major. When you're doing statistical analysis, you very rarely have enough data to say that this A causes B, but you can say with a high level of confidence based on the data that this correlates, A correlates with B. And there's a very significant difference between correlation and causation, but the human mind a lot of times wants to- Join the two. Yeah. They want to make causation- the explanation when really it's just correlation so the human mind connects dots just naturally all the time um i was thinking about puzzles jigsaw puzzles the other day because you know we're big puzzlers in my family and i'm always thinking why is this fun 
Like you take a picture and you smash it into a million pieces and then you think it's fun <laughs> to painstakingly put it back together. But right. it is because every time you get one together, it's like, oh, I connected part of the pattern. Yeah. And it feels good to connect dots. It's like satisfying for our brains. Yeah. So what's another, I guess you would call these like structures of human cognition that we use that kind of lead to this magical thinking? Hyperactive agency detection. That sounds so cool. I know. I love that. <laughs> Hyper Hyperactive agency, agency detection. detection. Yeah. That's so fantastic. This article describes that there's two categories of objects. There's inanimate objects like pens, right? They don't have an inner essence or life. Mm -hmm. And then there's active agents, which are like people, animals, and things that can perform actions. And a lot of the time, humans will assign agency to inanimate objects. Right. Like kids do it with stuffed animals. But it rarely goes the other way. We like, or yeah. a lot of times we'll assign agency to an inanimate object, but very rarely would we treat a human as if they were inanimate. So why is this, why does this promote magical thinking? A lot of this is just, it's part of your way of trying to understand the world. So if you hear a tree fall in the forest and then right after a hut catches on fire, then you might say that tree falling in the forest was pushed by some monster that lit my hut on fire. Mm. They're trying to explain, well, why the hell did this hut catch on fire? Well, right before it, I heard this tree fall. So maybe there's some evil spirit in the woods, you know, that's coming to kill everyone in the village, you know, so. Right. And it's better for them to think that and prepare for the monster, right? Than to be lackadaisical about it and then right. get like smithereened by the, right. is that a word? <laughs> get destroyed yeah. by the monster. Right, exactly. So another one of these concepts is called apophenia, which is also known as patternicity, which is, again, like we started talking about, it's the relentless search for patterns. It's And it's one of our greatest strengths as humans because we have this ability to look and see patterns and things in a different cognitive way than, say, like animals do. I think animals can see patterns, but the way a human processes the pattern is different than, say, an animal would mm -hmm. do. I think this plays into the idea with conspiracy theories a lot because they start to put patterns together and they come up with a whole theory that has really no basis in reality. So, And if you have a confirmation bias and you have something that you want to believe in, you're going to interpret data in that pattern to confirm your bias. Yeah. And then, Peria, how do you say this one? Paragolia. No so Zach Bagans on Ghost Adventures talks about this one, but he he mispronounces words all the time. So, <laughs> so this is when we see non-existent patterns in visual and auditory input. I don't hmm. know about you, but I've tried those white noise machines at night, and uh, I can hear voices in them. I can hear coughing. I've heard music. I can't uh, use those things. I have to use the one with the fan. It's like I don't know yeah. something about it is different, so I don't hear the patterns. Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. And I think they also talk about this with like seeing faces in inanimate objects, like seeing it in the clouds or, or Jesus on toast. Yeah. Grilled cheeses. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That perceiving of non-existent patterns in a visual input is part of that cognitive process, you know? Yeah. All right. What else do we got? Oh, attraction to unusual or counterintuitive events. Oh, I like this one because I admit I'm a sucker for ghost stories. I'm a sucker for supernatural <laughs> stories. I, yeah. I've always been very skeptical, but ever since I was a little kid, I've loved ghost stories. And I would go to Colonial Williamsburg, like dying to see a ghost in the windows. Right. You know? <laughs> I remember one year, I think I was like 12 or 13. And I was like, if I don't see a ghost this year, I think I'm going to have to conclude that ghosts aren't real. <laughs> right. Didn't see Did you ever ghost. go on those ghost tours too? Yes, like... I've been on so many ghost tours. I've yeah. never ever seen a ghost. Right. Yeah. And you know, I watched like the ghost shows and I just heard a bunch of footsteps in your house. Is that a ghost? Just, yeah. It's a bunch of knocking. It's probably one of my children losing their minds, but, or it's a ghost. Could yeah, be. it could be a ghost. It's like paper, snow, a ghost. <laughs> wow. We are in a roll. It's so hard to fit in the friends references that we said we were going to. Like, I don't think we did any last season except for the first episode. We got several in this one. Yeah. I, so I, I really like to watch the ghost shows and my, one of my favorite podcasts is astonishing legends, mm -hmm. but I am so skeptical going into them that I've, can't say I actually believe this stuff. Like I'm always playing like devil's advocate in my head. Like, right. Oh, uh, well, that EVP was really grainy. Like that could have been anything or, yeah. you know, the pictures they take are lens flare or whatever. But there is some stuff that is like, whoa, I, I can't explain that very easily. Yeah. But I'm not, I can't conclude that it's a ghost or that it's supernatural. I just don't know. Yeah. Cause you always notice those like pictures of Bigfoot or a Yeti. They're always from like 5,000 meters away. Yeah. Well, if you can't explain what it is, then it's Bigfoot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the last one of these is poor statistical intuition and reasoning. And this is really just because humans are pretty bad at predicting rare events. Yeah. Most things that people experience as miraculous are actually predictably common. Right. Given statistics. Yeah. Yeah. Statistical rates and things like that. Well, I forget where I saw this quote, but it says that if a certain number of highly unlikely things didn't happen, that would be highly unlikely. (laughs) Right. Which makes so much sense. Like, right. Unlikely things have to happen. Right. It would be weird if they didn't. So when they happen, it's not miracles. It's just normal probability. It's the opposite of a miracle. Yeah. Most people don't understand statistical probability or those things like that because we're not mathematicians. And, you know. Yeah. Well, here's an example. I saw a post a while back from a woman who said that on the morning of 9-11, she had a dream where she was in a skyscraper and the walls were gone and there was broken office equipment and like paper flying everywhere and she could see the Brooklyn Bridge. And she was like so weirded out by it. And to this day, she's like, what was that about? I don't believe in God, but what was that? Right. It sounds weird, right? Like that would probably creep me out if that happened to me. Right. This was before 9-11 happened? The morning of 9-11, yeah. Like before the planes actually hit the buildings. Okay. So my reply to her was, let's say there is a 0.0001% chance. Okay, that's really low, right? That's really low. Really low. That any given person on any given night will dream about an empty, broken, sad office building. (laughs) With 7.5 billion people in the world, that means 750,000 people will have a dream like that on the night before 9-11. Obviously, I have no idea what the probability of having such a dream is. Right. But if you are looking at it from a statistical standpoint, it probably isn't that weird. I know it feels weird because it happened to you and that makes it a personal experience for you but not evidence of anything supernatural. Right. So what do you think about that? I'm actually doing the math real quick because oh, okay. I just, I'm just curious. Yeah. 750,000 people. And you would, you would imagine that since that's a really specific type of dream, that that probability is probably even lower than that. Could be even lower. Yeah. But like before you even get to the statistics, my thing that I find ironic about this post is she didn't post this until November of 2022. Yeah. If I asked you right now, do you remember what you dreamed about the night before 9-11? Oh, no, no, no. She explained that. It's because she had a dream journal and she mm. had been writing these down. So she wrote it down okay. in the morning, she, like as soon as she woke up. That's how she remembered. Okay. okay. Good question. See, you're skeptical. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, oh, so she kept a dream journal. Okay. So she's mm-hmm. already just a little bit strange. but <laughs> She was trying to have lucid dreams, which right, maybe right. also plays into it. Like she's trying to invoke these crazy dreams. I don't know. Yeah. The statistical thing is a pretty interesting way to look at it because like, yeah, over a given population, there is a statistical probability of such and such a thing happening and there is a number for it mm-hmm. and you just have to find the data to support it or yeah. Just, yeah. Just find that number. And even if you reduce that percent chance by like orders of magnitude smaller, yeah, you could still have 750 people dreaming about 9-11 the morning that it happened. Right. It was so weird to think about. Yeah. It's very strange. Can I tell one more story? <laughs> Yeah. I feel like I'm dominating, but no, I like it. I'm just trying to trying to get across how common these weird coincidences actually are. Like before we go into the Providence stuff. Yeah. That it's normal to have coincidences. Okay, so if I'm gonna believe in any god, it's going to be the Mayan sun god. <laughs> and I'll explain why. One afternoon, my husband was sitting on the couch on his phone. He was just surfing Facebook, and my daughter's at the kitchen table and she just looks up at me and she goes, Hey, mommy, have you ever heard of Chichen Itza? You know what that is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't know what it was. Well, it's the pier. It's that big pyramid. Yes. It's the big in pyramid. Peru where they used to do the I thought sacrifices. It was Mexico. Uh, I think it's in. Is Can it you look in, it up real quick? Yeah. I'm looking at the site right now, actually. Okay. Uh, oh, it is in Mexico. You're okay. Right. right. It's in Mexico. And I was like, no. And then my husband looks up from his phone and he's like, what did you just say? <laughs> and she said, Chichen Itza. And he's like, are you kidding me? Because he'd never heard of it either, but at that very moment, he was surfing Facebook and he came across my best friends who I've talked about before. She goes to Yale to become a priest. She Uh was in Mexico and we knew that she was in Mexico, Yeah. but she had posted some pictures of them at Chichen Itza and she had captioned it as she was in front of that pyramid, right? And so he's like, oh, what is this place? I've never heard of it. And he like Wikipedia it. And as soon as he did that, my daughter looked up and says, Hey, have you heard of Chichen Itza? And they're they're separated by by like twenty feet. Okay, they're not it's even not together. Like he saw they're it. Not talking to each other. Yeah, totally separate events. And he goes, "Why did you say that?" And <laughs> she goes, "Oh, because we learned about it at school today." That's so crazy. Like in art class, they made these like sun gods. Okay. I said to my husband, I was like, "Well, if this proves anything, it's that the Mayan sun god is the one true god." Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. That's even crazy. Which is yeah, happening. that is pretty crazy. Yeah, and that. 
again, that's just like patternicity. It's like, yeah, how could that have happened? Like, what a strange coincidence. But if like, it had, if that had been about about something Christian or like right. something about the Bible, yes, hundred percent, every Christian would have interpreted that as a sign from God. Right. The Holy Spirit was leap, yes. you know, telling me I was walking down the street and I looked up at the cross and then. Right when I looked up at the cross, my phone rang and it was my pastor. Yeah, something like that. That's the Holy Spirit. Like, that's exactly the kind of thing. But if they can use it for their God, I can use it for my God. Right. The Mayan sun God. <laughs> right. I pray to them every night. <laughs> right. This idea of magical thinking is not unique to religion or Christianity or anything. There's secular versions of this too, like the idea of karma. You know, everything mm, happens yeah. for a reason, you know, oh, that's meant to be, or even like the idea of like finding the one in relationships, oh, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, that's magical thinking, like that there's one person out Soulmates, there. Yeah. That's the person for you, soulmates, you know, oh, it was written in the stars, you know, that's all magical thinking. I keep telling my husband to take this down, but my father in law is very superstitious like that. And he gave us this like horseshoe to put uh -huh. over our garage door. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, why do we have this? And, you know, my father-in-law was like, oh, it's good luck. And I was like, I don't believe this. Why is it it's still up there? And I keep telling him to take it down. You I should don't take it, it down. And then what's going to happen is when you take it down, your ladder is going to fall down. Your somebody's going to break an ankle and you're going to be like, oh, damn I, it. I should have <laughs> never taken that horseshoe down. Grandpa yeah, was right. Grandpa was right. Let's take this idea of magical thinking and kind of relate it to the idea of the providence of God. This is something, this one's been on my mind for a while since we, since last season, we kind of talked about it. And then I was reminded, I think this week, actually in that conversation you were having with Lars about the sovereignty of God and how those two things are basically the same thing. I forgot about that term, the, the sovereignty of God. He's in control of the universe, which is, you know, very similar to the providence of God. So I think the the simple definition of the providence of God is the act of providing for or sustaining and governing the universe by God. That's like the theological definition of it. Yeah. I'm having a flashback to something my dad said. We were having a talk and he was telling me that hell was not hellfire and brimstone type hell. It was more like separation from God. Right. And, and I was like, okay, well, why, like, how's that different from here right now? Right. And, and he's like, oh no, like, the Lord is here and he's orchestrating things and like he's looking over us and he has a hand right. in everything. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know it, may not, it might not seem like it, but he does. Right. I was like, how do you even know that? Like, how do you have special knowledge that, that God's like doing this? Right. <laughs> yeah. I've heard a lot of preachers say like the idea of hell is not so much about the burning in the lake of fire. It's that, that there's no presence of God. And what happens mm -hmm. when God takes his hand of protection away? Yes, exactly. That's basically what hell really is. Like, even if there was no fire for those who don't believe in a literal hell, they'll say, well, there's a hell in that. Eventually God is going to take his hand of protection away from the earth. And then mm -hmm. all hell is going to we'll, break, we'll break loose. loose. <laughs> break loose. So that's kind of the same idea as like that. God has this overarching you know, knowledge about the universe. And then that translates down to, okay, if he can control the universe, then he also has this plan for people's individual lives, you know, and in the Heidelberg catechism, which is a, a real famous piece of Protestantism, they talk about the, the uh, providence of God like this. I'm just going to read the quote, the, the almighty and everywhere present power of God, where at, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds the heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass and rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, rich riches and poverty. Yea, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Oh my gosh. So That's this horrible. is like, yeah. So this is like, I mean, you're talking about down to the like cellular level, you know, God is involved poverty? in, yeah, riches and poverty. Yeah, you but know. that means that he intentionally, not by chance, makes people poor right or at least allows it you know so. no no no. it says not by chance but by yeah. his fatherly hand mm -hmm. he's deliberately creating some people in poverty fruitful and barren years he's creating barren years i mean i just think right. that this quote is like so damning they think it sounds good but it doesn't right it sounds horrible like it really points out and and of course they, people would interpret that as oh no it just means that he's in control even though there's bad shit and there's good shit, God's still in control, you know, which is what you'll see people say, and we'll get to this later, you know, when things go wrong, 
Yeah. So yeah, not only does he have this overarching plan for the universe, but that because of his omniscience and all of his omni qualities, he has a unique plan for every person on the planet. And he knows, you know, what's best for their life. You know, uh, that way the believer can attribute everything in their life, no matter what it is, to being part of God's plan. Well, I think this is the crux of why people believe it, right? Because it gives them the, them the benefit of having a, like a puppeteer that is directing every aspect of their life. And what can go wrong when you have the most powerful entity on the planet on your side? And I think it's, it's comforting for them. I don't know. To me, it's just like an easy button. I was thinking about this. Be like when I was a Christian, I would have never thought my life was easy. Like I wouldn't have said, oh, well, Christians don't go through hard things. And Christians now would say, oh, my life's not easy because I have Jesus, but I have this overarching umbrella over me that enables me to understand the world around me and give me hope no matter what happens, which is, I mean, from a cognitive standpoint is very comforting. <laughs> like, What is the use of that? If bad things happen to you and God won't do anything about them, you might as well believe in a lampshade. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the reason that people believe it is because, well, it makes it a lot easier to explain the bad stuff away. You can just say, well, I might not understand it, but at some point in the future when I'm dead and in heaven, oh, then I'll understand it. Like, I think there's a verse that says, you know, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then we're going to see clearly. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that you can replace God with a lampshade. Right. It would perform the same action and accomplish the same things. That's correct. I just don't understand why this is so compelling for people. I mean, I guess I understand it, but I don't because I never, this was never a thing for me. Yeah. I'm trying to understand. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean... I don't know. It, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense because if you're a person that's looking for meaning and you want to believe that life has meaning and that there's a purpose for it and a plan, well, then it makes perfect sense. you know. And if you don't want to believe that or you don't need to believe that, well, then you can say, oh, well, I have agency in my own life and I'm going to take control and responsibility for how my life goes. And if shit happens, I'll deal with it. If good stuff happens, you yeah, know, great. Exactly. That's how kind of how I was like, I didn't really think too much about what God would want for me. Like, for example, when I was deciding what college to go to, I was like, well, if he wants me to go to a certain college, I guess it's just going to be the college I want to go to. Because if he <laughs> wants me to go to college A, he's going to give me that desire. Right. So whichever one I end up going to, it's going to be the right one. Right. So I didn't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, if I pick it, it's because God wanted me yeah. to. And if it's possible for me to pick a school that he doesn't want me to go to, then that's right. his fault for not sending me that message clearly. Making it enough. clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the the main verses people use about the providence of God, you know, is from the book of Romans where it says, you know, for we know that all things work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. Something I find very interesting in this verse is actually it says that all things work together for good. And a lot of people like to use that verse as like, well, God is always working for our good. But actually in the original Greek or when they were doing these manuscripts, which we've talked about before, the word his was right before good. So it says really? all things work together for his good. So for God's good, it's Ooh. not for our good. It never was for our good, but they took his out. Well, that makes more sense with what right. we know about God. So, right. Of course, you know, so. You know, this reinforces that idea that God has a plan for the believer, but then they can just use the province of God to explain things in unbelievers' lives as well, which doesn't make any sense. So, if the, according to the verse, it's you have to be called according to his purpose, purpose yeah. then why would God have a plan for the people who are not called according to his purpose? Like, they should just be flailing. Their lives should all be miserable. Yeah. I think we have a pretty good life. Yeah. Like, I'm not called according to any biblical purpose and I don't have any complaints. No, and I was never a true Christian and I'm extremely <laughs> privileged. Like I right. I have a great life. I'm very quote unquote blessed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. What are the logical problems with the idea of providence? So this is a John Piper quote, and he says, Wherever God is looking, God is acting. If God perceives, he performs. If he inspects, he affects. Uh, I hate when the people try to rap too. <laughs> if, in other words, there's a profound theological reason why providence does not merely mean foreknowledge, but rather the active sustenance and governance of the universe. When God sees, he sees too. 
his seeing is always with a view to doing where he patrols he controls another rap what's wrong with this like it's unfalsifiable yeah and you can replace god with anything right like zeus i mean the sun god the mind sun god and no matter what happens it's god right it just makes it easy to say well god's always trying to do something and he's not just like looking at the universe he's got a plan to do something in your life and so then you can then assign whatever you want to god working in your life which you can't argue with someone's experience you know like there's no predictive power to this statement like if you think about um like a scientific hypothesis it has predictive power and you can falsify it this has no predictive power right it's saying that whatever happens that was God. There's nothing right. that can happen that's not God. Right. Well, another harm of this is that it takes responsibility off the believer in making their own decisions or like doing their own due diligence of weighing options of like risk versus benefits or like pro con lists like they do in Good right. Girls. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like forging your own path is like not a thing. It's like you just kind of wait for stuff to happen or doors to open, but like you would never, oh, I made a decision to do this. I'm going to make this happen. Well, and forging your own path is even frowned upon. Yeah. You're not allowed to forge your own path. You have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. You know, so like when you're trying to figure out what college to go to, you pray and then you send out your letters, you know, and then whichever ones come back, then those are the ones God wants you to go to. Well, what happens when you get 10 acceptance letters? Oh, then you're trying to figure out, okay, well, which one does God really want me to go to? And really it comes down to, it's the one I like the best or the one with the most financial aid or the one with the biggest program that I want to study. It's the wisest decision. And it's coincidental that God wants me to do the wisest thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then you just give God the credit. Like, yeah. But what happens when things go wrong? Let's say you got your dream college that you were going to go to. All of a sudden, the first day you're on campus, you're at the welcome party and then you get sexually assaulted at the party yeah this was god's choice what do you do with the idea of when things go wrong well i found a john MacArthur quote that i think explains this he says there is in your life a divine architect ordering every detail and if you belong to him and are in the covenant of his love then you are accomplishing his perfect will so that's a big condition there right if right. you belong to him and are in the covenant of his love so if something's going wrong right like if you get essayed at that party right that's because something's wrong with you spiritually you're not right. in his love anymore you don't belong to him you did something you didn't pray enough you don't right. have enough faith you have to blame yourself you should have never been at that party and you were probably wearing the wrong jeans yeah that too but what if you were walking home from campus crusade for christ and it happened then what that's even harder to explain that's still your fault that's that's like like, getting measles at a revival (laughs) (laughs) yeah no kidding that's hilarious but yeah you you basically have two options when things are going wrong you either have to blame yourself or accept that it was god's will because you will definitely not blame god for it yeah god only gets the credit for the good stuff the bad stuff is all because of sin cannot blame god yeah it's all because of sin or something that you did to depart from god's will so you know, one of the big problems with providence from a, a logical standpoint is the problem of suffering and evil. Yes. You know, if God is in control and he is in control of the whole universe and has a plan for my he's life. He's all powerful. Too. He's all powerful. He's all loving. We'll get to that one. And he's all knowing. <laughs> and he has the ability to help me find my car keys or get me a great parking space at Target. Why can he not stop genocide? or world hunger, or war, or famine, or cancer, or any of the number of evils or tragedies in the world. And for someone to think that God really is helping them find their keys or get a parking space, while all this other shit's happening in the world, I think that's a really narcissistic, arrogant viewpoint that really a privileged person could have just because they're conditioned to have it, right? Right. Not trying to condemn anyone for having this mindset because it really is conditioned and indoctrinated into us. Right. I've tried to explain this to somebody who's very close to me, and she was flabbergasted that I thought that God wouldn't care about a parking space or right. or keys or whatever. She was like, I don't understand why you think he wouldn't care enough about me to find my keys. Right. And I was like, how do you not see this? Yeah. How is your bubble so small that you just forget all the rest of the stuff that's happening in the world? Right. Do you know John Steingard? 
Oh, I sent, yes. you, I sent you this video. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I used to listen to this band too, so. <laughs> yeah, I never did. You missed out. John Steigard <laughs> is the lead singer and guitarist for the Christian band. I'm assuming they're not a thing anymore. Hawk Nelson. Yeah, I don't know if they're still around or not. Uh, well, he isn't a Christian anymore, so I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you never know, but okay. Yeah. So I was listening to an interview and he said he went to Uganda to film a documentary and he was shocked by the level of suffering that he saw there, considering he did believe it in the time in a God who intervened. He said this quote, and I loved it so much, I wrote it down. He said, I had a very hard time believing in a God who was so involved in your life that he saves a parking spot for you at church. Cool. There's two-year-olds being parented by four-year-olds in Uganda. So mm. I'd be fine with giving up a parking spot if God wanted to spend some time over there. Right. He is more concerned about the kids in Uganda than God is. Right. He's more selfless. He's like, I don't care about my parking spot, God. Go take care of them. Right. But he won't do it. Yeah. And I think Christians would explain that God is so powerful that he can take care of the kids in Uganda and all the things that are going on in the world. And he still also cares about you finding your keys. But he's not. Right. There's a really big difference between him caring about me finding my keys and caring about the kids in Uganda and actually doing something about it. I can say I care about a lot of shit, but if I'm not doing anything about it, then there's really no way to actually prove mm -hmm. that I care about it. That's a lot of talk yeah. and no action. Absolutely. Let's talk about the Holocaust. This is a huge one for me too. Like, Yeah, it's huge. How could you entertain the idea of God's overarching plan and he allowed 6 million to 9 million to 20 million, depending on which numbers you look at, of Jewish people to be just ruthlessly slaughtered? And they're Jews, right? So they're- <laughs> They're his... God's chosen people. However, I guess he had already abandoned them based on their, you know, insubordination, which is what a lot of Christians claim that he wasn't. Right. They're not chosen anymore, I guess. Right. But still, it's a horrible, horrible tragedy that this even happened. And he just watched it all. I yeah. mean, he was right there on the sidelines. It's like if you, if you'd been there and you had the power to snap your fingers at end the suffering, wouldn't you have done it? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you've read God any has no excuse. Yeah, if you've read any stories about stuff, people that survived the Holocaust or the things that they went through and how evil they were, like, like how could a loving, all powerful God allow that to happen? And and how can you then say, oh, it's because man has free will? Well, so he gave the Nazis free will, but the Jewish people don't have free will because I'm pretty sure they didn't want to get- Free will not to be gas chambered? Right. I'm pretty sure they didn't want to get on those trains to freaking concentration camps. God really protects the rights of criminals to to perform their crimes on unsuspecting innocent people. Right. But he won't protect the innocent people from the criminals. Yeah. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, which we all know, according to my parents, is a cult and aren't real Christians. Oh, absolutely. But God can and will undo all the damage of the Holocaust. God promises to bring back to life millions who have died, including Holocaust victims. He will also eliminate the pain that the Holocaust survivors feel because of hor horrific memories. Wow. So instead of preventing it in the first place, he allows it. And then he just so that he can resurrect them and erase their memories. Like he literally right. wipes their memories. Well, he's going to use that thing from Men in Black where you like yeah. look into the thing and like the bleaky hurt. thing. But that also like gets the idea of like, well, a human suffering just doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything because he's just going to wipe their memory and like it'll be fine. They never knew it had happened. And so why is it so bad to murder them? I could murder and torture you. You would die. You would have no memory of it once God resurrects you. <laughs> right. Who cares? Yeah. Who I'm cares? Allowed to like, do it. Well, and I guess this goes to show you kind of like how people like a lot of christians views about life it comes from this like if you if you believe in a resurrection well then it really doesn't matter what happens on this planet like it doesn't matter if you die from covid it doesn't matter yeah. if you like let your neighbor die because you won't you know like it doesn't matter because oh you're going to get resurrected anyway yeah so who cares and that's not a good mindset to have so i no. i reject this yeah terrible terrible What's the problem of omnibenevolence, God being all loving as it relates to providence? Because there's there's a bunch of problems. <laughs> so the first one that I can think of is that he created a hell to send people to. And if he had a plan and everything is going according to his plan, then he created some people knowing that they would not believe in him just so that they can go there yeah. and be tortured for all eternity. And their memories aren't going to be erased, presumably. So, I mean, that's just sadistic. That, yeah. That's not loving. 
I'm trying to find the thing that Lars said because he said something about this thing. Where's our chat? Oh yeah, he's like the pro- the problem of sin, which is really just like things that God doesn't like. You can't be God and allow and or create the idea of sin and be all loving because sin okay. is basically just stuff that pisses God off. You know, it's something that makes God breaks God's him. heart. Yeah, it makes him mad. You know, you can't have sin or a sin nature and an omni benevolent. Oh, God. that's interesting. I never really thought of it like that. Yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. And if God had a plan and he knew all this was coming, yeah. Well, you can't be loving and sovereign at the same time. Because then he made you and me and all of our listeners just to go to hell. Right. <laughs> right. And then also to like swoop in and save them. You know, it's like, I think in one of the first episodes, we told that story or the analogy about the contractor yeah, building the house with the flaws and then having his brother come in and be the one who fixes the flaws. But not only that, but what I'm saying is like, he knew you and I wouldn't buy into it. Mm. And so he knew it wouldn't work on us. And yet he made us anyway. Yeah. Obviously we don't believe any of this at all. (laughs) Right. So if God does have like a master plan, do humans really have free will? I mean, this is a pretty... Oh, like the idea of free that. will is a really interesting concept because even so amongst confusing. secular things, there's an idea of like, well, do people really have free will? But let, let's just focus on the idea of like the providence of God. If God has a master plan and he's in control of the universe, do we have free will at all? Or are we just, we're just kind of robots in the queue? I think we have the illusion of free will, but like if we, if it looks like we have choices presented to us, but all along we're programmed to take one choice right then i don't think we have free will however so my husband and i talk about this a lot if i have a choice between lucky charms and fruit loops for breakfast and god knows which one i'm going to choose does that mean that i don't have free will to choose which cereal i want right because no matter what you pick god knew what do you think to me the idea of free will you can't have providence and free will because if you can have free will that means that you can change god's plan well, apparently you can change God's plan if you're not in his covenant. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So like usually free will is used as the explanation for all the evil in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, man has free will and that's why, or sin is also the other explanation for all the things are, that are in the world. Mm-hmm. But if God has a plan and there's an overarching control of the universe, why would he allow those things? And why, why would people choose them? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, I mean, I think free will is one of those philosophical things that obviously we're not going to like come to a, oh no, I'm so torn on the subject of free will. Yeah. And it's like, but with the idea of providence, it would be impossible to have the concept of free will. If you take away the idea of providence and like, you know, a master puppeteer over the whole universe, then it's more plausible that man does have some level of free will and conscious control over what they're doing. Yeah. And there's other schools that would argue and say, no, there's other factors at play. And so man doesn't really have free will because of this and this, but specifically related to providence. I don't think you could say that man has free will. If there is providence. Right. If there is a providence of God and if, if God is sovereign, because he knows what's going to happen and yeah. he's controlling it. <laughs> but at the same time, like I said, you can cause the train to go off the tracks of God's plan, mm. right? People have to say that because things go wrong and right. they don't want to say it was God's plan. And so it was somehow my fault. Right. Yeah. So this kind of leads into the next point of like how the idea, how magical thinking and the providence of God, how are they related and how do they affect human responsibility? Because we, we said earlier, like if God's in control, then it makes it easy for you to kind of abdicate your responsibility if something goes wrong or if you make a mistake or whatever, you just say, oh, that was just part of his plan and I don't have to be take responsibility for it. It was God. Mm-hmm. And if it goes right, well, it's like, oh, well, praise God. And he did it all, you know, like your phlebotomist story from the, <laughs> the previous episode, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, so if there is a divine plan and humans don't have any ability to impact that plan it takes away personal responsibility but dot 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 (laughs) if humans can change the mind of god through prayer which is going to be a subject we're going to talk about next Mm -hmm. if, if prayer actually does something and you can change the mind of god that that really raises a lot of questions for the idea of providence and sovereignty right it sure does because that (laughs) implies that god doesn't have a plan he has a plus (laughs) <laughs> well played 
Well played. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Why pray? I just don't understand why, if you believe God's in control mm-hmm. and you also believe that you can't affect God's plan. And that his plan was perfect. He always has a perfect plan. Right. The plan was perfect. So why would you have to pray? And then God, as all loving, why would he make you ask? Yeah. That'd be like if I know my kid is hungry and he comes home and I'm like, hey, I need you to ask me for food before I give it to you. <laughs> like, who does that? Like, yeah. that's abusive as hell. Like, yeah. Right. And I, I think I used the um, example before of like my sister's sonogram and mm-hmm. asking us to pray that everything would be anatomically correct with the baby. Mm-hmm. In my head, I'm like, is the baby not okay now? And if I pray, it's going to make it okay? Right. Like, And if not, like, why does God need to be asked to make your baby okay? Right. And then is that a slap in the face of all the babies that are born not okay? Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it gets, it goes to the idea of like the Bible says in many places that God is unchangeable, but then there's also a lot of verses where God changes mind. I got a whole list. There's, there's 10 verses there, at least where it says, and God changed his mind. And most of them mm. are related to, oh, and God changed his mind about the evil he was going to do to such and such a people group. Oh, because he's so merciful. Right. Yeah. Like, but if his plan was perfect, you shouldn't have to modify it. Why would he change his mind? Like, plus, if the best he could do is this convoluted thing of making the human race and then them going wrong, right? Shit hit the fan within like five minutes. Right. <laughs> and then he cursed them and then required this like convoluted thing in order for people to be saved and not be burned for eternity. That's the best plan he had for humanity. Right. <laughs> that was perfect. And he makes no mistakes. That's yes. that shit crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So like one of those stories where God changed his mind was about in Exodus where the Israelites were like tired of waiting for Moses up on the mountain who was supposed to be meeting with God. So they made a golden calf and they started worshiping it and doing a bunch of stuff. And so then, of course, God gets pissed off and he says he's going to kill all of those people. But then Moses went back to God and said, hey, why would you bring us out of Egypt and tell us that we're going to be like inheritance of the whole universe? just to kill us all in the desert. And so then it says, and then the Lord relented. It did not bring on his people, the disaster that he had threatened. So like, yeah, it's just like an unstable, abusive person. Like I'm going to kill you because you guys did some shit. No, please don't. Oh, no, please don't kill us. Please don't kill us, sir. And they, <laughs> All right, fine. Since you asked nicely. And there's a ton of verses like this where that exact phrase is there. And the Lord relented. Yeah. I can think of a bunch of examples off the top of my head and I'm not even really a Bible person. Yeah, there's a ton of them. When you say it like that, when you juxtapose those examples, like if God doesn't change, that's still the same God that's, you know, overseeing the universe today. Mm-hmm. That's not the kind of God I want in charge of my life. Right. I don't, I'm not trusting that guy to make the right decisions for me. Yeah. If he was going to execute a bunch of people in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next idea. Like, is there stories in the Bible where there's evidence of magical thinking? Like, did the Bible writers interpret natural events as part of like this divine plan? Oh, yeah. They were huge on divine providence. So they were always saying not to worry and God will provide. This is a verse that I always think about. It's in Matthew Mm -hmm. chapter six, uh, verse 25 and 26. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air, Uh, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Look at how your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Yeah. And there's a lot of verses like that, but reality doesn't line up with that. Yeah. there's. I think in that same passage, it talks about like God you know, knows the number of the hairs on your head and Mm -hmm. he's intimately involved in all the details of our life. But then there's a lot of examples of where that's doesn't appear to be true, even in the Bible. Like, yeah, there's a whole book. Lamentations. Yeah. It's like, which lamentations, real happy word. Like it's literally means like crying out in anguish. I actually like Lamentations. Yeah, it's a great book. Like, Yeah, it's a good read. It's real poetic. They're really sad and they're really down on themselves. It's always like, this is our fault. Everything's destroyed because of us and our sin nature. Right. The Lord has rejected us and trampled us, but glory be to him. Right. 
I'm trying to remember if Lamentations was written after the exile from... It was right when Babylon destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. It was like the, yeah, the Babylonians destroyed the temple. Yeah. So now they're exiled from their land and and they're slaves in Babylon. The whole idea of Lamentations is about trusting in a loving God and then trying to reconcile, oh, God loves me, but we just got fucking destroyed. And now we're living in the most heathen place on earth. And how do we reconcile those two concepts? Okay, so in um, Lamentations chapter 3, the author is very clear that the Lord destroyed us. He took everything from us. We are annihilated. He says, even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. And still, he goes on to say, yet this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. We are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. So this like is huge level of cognitive dissonance is off yeah, the charts. It's so schizophrenic of like <laughs> two seconds earlier, you were saying God destroyed us. He will not relent. He will not hear my prayer. Yeah. It's just like we talked about with Stockholm syndrome. You're like, yeah, this guy's holding me captive, but I really love him anyway. Well, that's what you have to do to preserve your sanity. Yeah. When you're in the face of ruin and you've lost everything, what more do you have than that just to cling on to that belief that the big guy in the sky is still going to take care of you in the end? Right. Oh, and I was reading the Wikipedia entry for Lamentations, and apparently this type of thinking is even older than Lamentations. So the theme mm. and the elements from Lamentations are traceable to Sumerian literature a thousand years earlier. Hmm. where the destruction of their holy city was a punishment by God for the sins of its people. Sound familiar? Yeah. Well, and that just supports the idea that like most of the stuff in the Bible is not original and it's, it's just, recycled. It's pirated from other religions and other mythologies. So that makes a bunch of sense. Yeah. And But people have been justifying bad things happening to them for millennia. I find that so interesting. Like in every religion, there's that there's that idea of like self-deprecating type of thing. Yeah, like like we deserved it. They're a battered spouse. Yeah, exactly. Just like an abused spouse. Like one more thing I want to say about this: that verse in Matthew about don't worry about food and whatever because God takes care of the sparrows; He'll take care of you. Right, right. Go on Wikipedia. There's a list of famines that have happened in recordable history. Right. The millions of people who have died because of no food and continue to die today. Right. But in 26 BCE, there was a famine in Judea that killed 20,000 plus people, as recorded by Josephus. That's right. Right at the time of Jesus. like Exactly. And that was his people. That right. was his chosen people. Yeah. I mean, there's no shortage of like incidents that have happened where you'd be like, why would God allow this? Like They probably did something wrong. <laughs> yeah, they probably did. Like they were hungry. If there is no master plan, what's good about that? Well, you can make your own decisions and you don't have to add an extra layer. You can just worry about what you want to do and what's best for your life. You can weigh the pros and the cons, the risks, the rewards, the benefits of all your decisions and not worry about what a deity would think who won't even talk to you and won't even show his face. Right. And I I can see people also saying this is a negative because they don't want that responsibility of like control of their Ah, life see yeah you're right but to me that's a positive yeah and to most people they would want agency of where i'm in control of my destiny but there's a lot of people that would view having an overarching plan is better because then i don't have to make the decisions you know and i think that goes to the idea that like some people are afraid to realize that there's no governing all-powerful deity definitely watching over us like History has shown that we don't need we don't need a deity. Like her humanity has gotten to this point and has only been getting exponentially smarter. Technology is only improving, all these kind of things without proof or evidence of a deity. So why yeah. do you why do you need it? Like, the only reason I would want a deity around is to prevent things like natural disasters, earthquakes, you know, um abuse. Um, murders. Yeah. Help maybe help us out with climate change. Right. But supposedly there is a deity and it's not helping us with any of yeah. that stuff. So what's the use? I mean, 
we're better off on our own. Like humanity needs to just wake up and realize that we need to fix our own problems. And the sooner the better and we can see some real change. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to realize when there is no God who's going to do it for us. Humanity has to do it on their own. Yeah, which is like, it's one of the cool things about is that like you can now take credit for your accomplishments. Like you don't have to see oh, yeah, true. that to God and say, well, God did it. You can say, I did it, which I think is something that we need. Like you need people to be able to feel good about themselves and not just in like a superficial, oh, that felt great. Like actually feel bona fide. I've, I'm lost on the word of what I'm like. I can't think of the word. Validated? Yeah, feeling validated, feeling valued for who they are and for the things that they accomplish. And they don't have to give credit to God, you know, Mm because it it really just lessens your accomplishments if you're just having to give credit to God for something great that you did. did. I didn't think of that. Yeah. What about the flip side? Like, what are some of the the negatives? If there's no plan, then (laughs) it's the flip side of all those things. Well, people now have to take responsibility for their actions and interactions. You can't say, oh, well, God is the reason I'm doing this. You have to say, oh, no, I'm just an asshole. That's a negative. Like people probably don't want that, that kind of responsibility, you know? I think people would also need to think critically more. People use the Bible as like a manual for their life Mm -hmm. and tells them what to think and what to do. If there were no Bible, then they would have to weigh these things on their own and decide how am I going to act? What kind of person am I going to be? What am I going to value? And maybe that's just too much for people to do on their own. Yeah. You'll have to take responsibility for the planet because if there is no plan, if there is no heaven and there is nothing after this, well, then you now have to take care of the planet. And you can't blame God for when things go wrong. You have to blame yourself. Like You can't blame the plan or trust the plan. You now have to say, I fucked up. (laughs) Or you don't blame yourself, but shit happens. Like sometimes things aren't your fault, honestly, but right. they're also not a deity's fault because there is no deity. So it's just natural, the natural course of events. I guess it goes back to that narcissism idea, like that the whole world does not resol- revolve around you. <laughs> I'm not that important that a deity is so involved in my life that they're going to be guiding my steps. No, you're in control of it. <laughs> I'm in control of it. So that's kind of like a con for people that it does. they're not as special or they right. might feel cosmically insignificant. Yeah, I guess that would be one of those negatives too. Like now, now I'm just another schlub. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the 7.5 billion people that are on the planet, I'm not unique. I'm not special. And I guess the big one is that if there's no plan, then there's no afterlife. And when we die, everything probably just ends. Yeah. Which for me is fine. But I know for a lot of people, that's definitely a con. Yeah. Like I think that heaven is a major attractor for people to Christianity. Oh, for sure. Well, hopefully you guys found this uh, interesting, you know, and learned a little bit about magical thinking and and kind of the roots of that with human cognition. I thought that was pretty interesting. We definitely will post the link to that whole study about magical thinking and how human cognition works. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it was interesting. And hopefully you enjoyed discovering that there is no plan. <laughs> You're in control. It's And it's okay. Embrace it. There's something like, yeah, maybe scary a little bit. But it's also like comforting to say, okay, well, I'm the master of my own ship. I can take control. I can go wherever I want to go. I can do what I want to do, be what I want to be. And I don't have to worry about pleasing or pissing off some, you know, imaginary person in the sky, you know? And we don't need to be scared that the universe is going to fall apart if there's not some kind of all loving hand holding it together. Right. We have laws of nature. We know what they are now. Things that we used to think God had to do to hold up the sun or make Mars go in retrograde. Right. People thought God did that. And it's the laws of nature as interpreted by science. Yeah. And bottom line, there's no evidence for there being a plan of any kind of supernatural being, you know, whether it's Yahweh or anyone, there's no evidence for any type of plan. We just all have to figure out what's best for our own life. Take a chance if you want. Yeah. Take a risk. See what happens. But don't be afraid that you're going to violate some kind of supernatural plan because there yeah. is none. Yeah, there is no supernatural plan. There's not even a plot. Don't worry. You could set Ross and Rachel up on horrible dates so that they'll realize how good they are together. Ooh, that's a great plan. Yeah. You know what the best part of it is? I get to do my plan laugh. Ha, 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 
That's allowed. We don't want to wake up. Uh... Rachel's going to have a terrible day. Ross gets stood up, and then they'll realize how good they have it together. Ah, uh, yes, the plan. Ho, ho, ho. It's not Santa's plan. No, it's. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's not that fun. No, I think we killed it. Look at them, look at them, really bonding. Oh, yeah, they're falling in love all over again. <laughs> oh, they see us. Oh, they, they look mad. Oh, they figured it out. They're coming this way. Run! Where? Mexico! Oh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time, where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Make sure to join us on our Facebook group called Dangerous Questions. We have a lot of fun conversations there. It's a great way for us to connect with you. Um, You can post questions. You can post articles, things that are relevant to your own journey, and we will interact with you there so find us there on dangerous questions on facebook follow us on the other social media sites and then please rate and review us on google spotify apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and we will catch you next time see you next time Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. We're asking the question. <laughs> Shit, what do I, you know what? How many, how many, t- how many times why, have why we do done we, this? Why do we still say it, though? Just because it's fun. Okay. And also because you always mess it up. So I always mess it up. It's only been, you know, 17 episodes. So. Blah, 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 blah. One of these blah, days blah. I'll get it right, but. Oh, shoot. Sorry. What's going on? Sorry. I accidentally almost left the meeting. I was trying to get that. Um... <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> and there she goes. She just. See you later. Bye. I'm done with this episode.